Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, Congress yay, shall make oh, no law respecting yay, an establishment yay, of religion, or, or prohibiting the free, the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or, or, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices Podcast. Hello and welcome to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee's podcast about educating and empowering the student journalism community about press law and ethics. My name is Trip Robbins. I'm a member of the SPRC and a teacher at Menlo School in Northern California, where I advise student publications. Our goal in each episode of the podcast is to focus on one aspect of student press freedom and bring you an interview on that topic. Today, we're going to look at the Supreme Court decision about a student dropping some F-bombs on social media. If you're an avid follower of this podcast, You may recall that in March, we looked at this case before the Supreme Court's decision in June. But for anyone who's not familiar with the case, let's review it. The plaintiff was a sophomore cheerleader whose initials are BL. She had been involved in cheerleading for a long time, and as a freshman, she tried out for the cheerleading team and made the JV team. Her sophomore year, she tried out again and again made the JV team, but she was really upset that she didn't make the varsity team. So on a Saturday, she and a friend were in a local store and they decided to make a Snapchat post and they both flipped the bird to the camera and wrote F school, F softball, F cheer, F everything, except they didn't just say F. And someone made a screenshot of the post though and showed it to the cheerleading coach and the school found out and they suspended her from the cheer team for the year. Her parents appealed that, saying that what she posted was protected by the First Amendment, and a district court sided with her. But the school appealed, and one thing led to another, and the case makes its way to the Supreme Court. So in June, the court looked at the case and made a decision, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Our guests today are Summer Ingram Dean and Jim Wagstaff. Hi, Summer. Um, Could you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, yes, it's nice to be here. Um, I'm Summer. I am a First Amendment attorney. I work at the Student Press Law Center. Um, We're a nonprofit that exists solely to help student journalists and their advisors. Um, I am also a professor at Baylor University teaching media law. Thank you. And uh, Jim Wagstaff, can you introduce yourself, please? I'm a lawyer practicing in San Francisco. I've been representing college newspapers for almost 40 years. I teach First Amendment law at San Francisco State and Stanford, and I teach civil procedure at Hastings College of the Law here in San Francisco. Thank you. Summer, can I start with you? Can you summarize um, what you think are the salient points? Well, let's just say, go ahead. Can you summarize the decision, first of all? Sure. Um, So... My read of this decision from the Supreme Court is 
Um, you have a court that was very hesitant to make a very broad sort of ruling on off-campus speech, what's going to count as off-campus speech in all situations and what's gonna count as on-campus speech. So um, you heard them even in the oral argument being a little hesitant and saying, you know, I don't wanna write a treatise on, on student speech in this case. Um, so what, you, what we ultimately came out with um, is the Supreme Court siding with um, the student in this case and saying that her First Amendment rights were violated um, but there was no, there was no, I think a lot of us were um, hoping for some more direct guidance from the Supreme Court in this area. And I wouldn't say that, that we got that from this case. Um, basically my read of it is that they, the Supreme Court sort of, they stated their conclusion, which was that um, the cheerleaders first amendment rights had been violated um, that she shouldn't have received the punishment that she received. And then they listed a lot of factors to consider um, when you're talking about off-campus speech. But they said, none of these are dispositive, but any of them can be relevant. Um, so it seems like it was good for the student involved in the case. Um, and it definitely could have been a lot worse, um, but I don't think that we can necessarily take any broad principles and apply them, you know, to the next case moving forward. Great. We should probably go over the case itself because not all of our listeners might will be familiar with it. Jim, do you want to summarize what the case was? Sure. It's, it's a case in which the headline is off-campus speech. School cheerleader doesn't get picked to be on the varsity squad. She's not happy about it. She's relegated a sophomore to be on the junior varsity squad. So she and a friend on a Saturday out near outside a cocoa hut near her hometown decide to do a Snapchat. She doesn't think it's going to last very long. And the Snapchat uh, basically uses some F-bombs about, about the, the cheerleading team and the squad and the decision. She posts another quick Snapchat sort of saying, boy, how come we're not on the team and the, this freshman got on the team? It's basically suggesting that and figured it probably went into the ether. Well, she did have 250 people at the school who were on her Snapchat list. And even though it lasts just a minute, somebody took a screenshot of it. And then a little stuff broke loose as the cheerleading team learned about it. And there was a little bit of, little bit of upset on campus. And she was suspended from being on the team for a year, which gave her the right as a result of that injury from a public school to bring a First Amendment case. She did so. And the lower courts, particularly the Third Circuit held, you know what? off-campus speech is basically beyond the power of the school and it went to the Supreme Court. And may I say, since we were together once before, Tripp, uh, this was not, as one says, on my SCOTUS bingo card. I did not predict <laughs> this was going to be the decision given that this is the first time in decades that the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the student on free speech issues. So uh, if you will, I, I, I bet you some of you will agree with me. Passing the bar exam has been said like not getting hit by a truck. That's what <laughs> passed the bar exam. We didn't get hit by a truck. The Supreme Court did not say that schools have plenary authority to regulate off-campus speech. But that's about as far as we can go by way of prediction. Okay, wait a minute. Plenary authority. Do you want to explain that for us, sure, Layman? That, that, yeah, sure. Plenary authority means the authority to, to control the conduct of others as a government entity in this case, regardless of the fact that they're not on your campus engaged in school activities. 
Okay, so let me see if I have this right in more layman terms that girls off campus, she's mad about not making the cheerleading team. She puts together a little social media post involving some profanity. It's a, and I think did, I, this came up before. I think this was mentioned in some of the cases. I don't know if SCOTUS mentioned it. I think she said, sorry, I think some of the courts said that because she didn't explicitly name any individuals or organizations, including the school or the cheerleading team, that that was a salient factor in saying that the school didn't have the right to deal with it. That sound accurate? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what the court said. And, and did the Supreme Court touch on that, too? Yes, the Supreme, I'll take it. The Supreme Court did touch on it. The Supreme Court's in, in its laundry list of things that they might not be uh, stopping schools from doing. They talked about targeted harassment of individuals. And they talked about perhaps breaches of school security. And the court said, but in this case, the Snapchats not only were there for just an instant, the Snapchats were not directed at individual people by name, or for that matter, directed by the school by name. A little yeah. disingenuous because clearly they, they were directed at her anger at the cheerleading uh, selection. Right. And when she says F school, F cheer, a reasonable person could conclude that she was talking about her school and her cheerleading team, but it's not the definitive. You conclusion. did say F everybody. Yeah. Or everything or something like everything, that. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to add anything to that summer? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the court, the Supreme court, um, you see, at least you heard in the oral argument, a lot of the justices or some of the justices saying, you know, the punishment seemed like it didn't really fit the crime. Um, she, in addition to not, you know, specifically calling out a specific person or coach or even using her school by name, um, you know, even the justification that the school had for punishing her and for having these um, these agreements in place that, that cheerleaders have to sign is that, oh, so they can keep a congenial um, atmosphere and things like that. The court said, well, we don't even see any um, any evidence that her Snapchat that appeared to her 200 followers and then disappeared quickly after that had any effect on, um, on that environment at school. So um, I think that you know, it seemed to me like the justices were saying this whole thing got out of control <laughs> and and there was probably a better way to handle it than the punishment she ended up getting. Yeah. What's going to be the fallout of this for student expression? Anybody want to start? Uh, well, I can say from, so at SPLC, we work with student journalists, obviously. And so our big concern was if the court comes out with a very broad decision that says schools have all this power to regulate the expression that you're engaged in when you're not on campus, uh, that would really harm students that are engaged in underground newspapers or off-campus publications that aren't in any way affiliated with or um, funded by the school. And so we were sort of holding our breath saying, what, you know, what are they going to say about this? And um, 
I think that in that sense, this decision was good news for student journalists. Um, again, it doesn't give us the exact sort of guidance perhaps that we were looking for, um, but at least a student doesn't have to now be afraid that, oh, if I publish this controversial story at school, I'll get censored. And if I publish it off campus, I'll also definitely get censored. So I think that we um, are, are happy to call that a, a victory. Um, and, you know, I guess we're still cautiously, we're cautiously optimistic. But yes, we've seen so many student journalists, especially over the past year or two, who have told us that they are engaging in self-censorship. They're afraid of, of um, publishing something that a school administrator is going to find objectionable, even if it's something truthful and something newsworthy that needs to be out to the public. Um, and so I'm just glad that the Supreme Court didn't sort of leave the door wide open for those sort of censorship concerns to happen outside of school for student journalists as well. Hmm. Do you have the sense or do you have any evidence that the chilling effect has increased since the case was approaching the court or since the decision? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that we've seen, you know, a sustained trend of more censorship or self-censorship since the case came out. Um, but one, the case definitely made people pay attention. So we got a lot of questions about it from student journalists and, and just students in general. Um, but two, yeah, I would say just over the past few years, it's something we're hearing more and more student journalists talk about. And so it could be that this was happening before and they're just now feeling, you know, empowered to talk about it. But it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely a trend that we're seeing that is concerning and that we were worried this case may worsen, but thankfully right. it did. Yeah. Um, Jim, do you want to comment on the decision? I do. I think that the decision did not do what we were worried it would do, which was have the court authorize schools to punish off-campus speech in the same manner that they could regulate speech that was on campus or related to school activities. But in one of the in one of the examples that Justice Breyer gave as to where the school might have a increased interest is the failure to follow rules off campus regarding lessons. That hmm. word lessons is not accidental because the Hazelwood decision in states unlike California that don't have statutory protections says that if a teacher or an advisor or a principal can articulate a proper pedagogical purpose, and I don't mean just grammar or spelling, I mean that the topic is the such that maybe a high school or even a college paper shouldn't touch, that that's part of the lesson plan. And the court, I think, was not in any way backing off that. In this case, by giving as one of the examples, there might be some lessons that a school could also be employing, say, for example, writing papers off campus or having, we live in a Zoom world, having classes off campus. I just taught my 289th Zoom class yesterday. So oh my I'm gosh. Used to it. And so I think the court was telling us, we're not changing anything about on-campus regulations, with one general exception. The court highlighted that, and I think it's important, that Justice Breyer said that American public schools are the nurseries of democracy. I think that's important because he's saying we need to even on-campus speech have lessons that advance free speech interests, that do not simply punish speech because of its content. 
I think in that sense, it was a very small ode to the Tinker decision in which the Supreme Court held in the late 60s that a student could wear a black armband to school peacefully protesting the Vietnam War. And we see Justice Thomas in dissent saying, I don't like Tinker very much. So I think that the flip side is that Tinker and the idea that schools are not supposed to punish speech solely because of its content was implicitly affirmed. Mm. Okay. Any, you want to ping pong on that at all, Summer? So one of my favorite lines from the decision is about public schools in America being the nurseries of democracy. Um, and the idea that our, our version, our representative democracy um, only works if we protect the marketplace of ideas, which includes mm -hmm. necessarily ideas that the government or public school officials or whoever else may disagree with. And so I think that um, on that point itself, um, the decision was very important in reaffirming that in, um, in charging public schools um, with that responsibility of, um, of helping students learn how to um, meaningfully, civically participate, even if their point of view isn't something that um, is universally approved. So I think that the importance of that cannot be overstated. Hmm. My understanding of the decision was that there were some lines that were drawn, like we are intentionally not addressing these things and that this decision is limited to this. Do you want to talk at all about that? Well, I'll, I'll start. The Supreme Court's decision was very clear that the school's diminished interest in this off-campus speech was different than what might be the school's enhanced interest if there was evidence of serious or severe bullying, targeted harassment at individuals, threats to individual teachers or students, as I indicated, the failure to follow lessons, how, using the school's computers off campus, uh, uh, online activities, which happen all the time, uh, or frankly, breaches of, social, of the school's security. So what the court was saying is we're not saying the school has no authority to regulate and punish those activities. And so the court is saying it's not just up to the parents or even the district attorneys to prosecute that. The schools can do something about those things. And I think Justice Breyer was saying, don't lose your lunch here, everybody. We, the schools can still punish things that we kind of all think are bad. Hmm. Yeah, I think there was, I think they were hearing as, you know, sort of we all were, a lot of concern that that sort of the side of the student was arguing um, for, for schools to not even be able to address those sort of, you know, bullying, online harassment, all those sorts of, of problems that, of course, no one wants to, to happen. And so I think um, Breyer and the majority were very conscious of that and wanted to state very clearly in their opinion, look, we're not saying this is off limits for schools to address. Of course, they can address um, these, these bullying or harassing or other horrible types of incidents. We're not trying to strip that authority from schools. Hmm. I think really the, the only thing left is what wasn't covered in this that is maybe left in ambiguous territory. Anybody want to jump in? Summer, you want to start? I'm happy to tell you start. Or I'll start. Doesn't matter. If you, you want can to go ahead. Those of us who are teachers, I was on this, this, this podcast, we look at things like this and say, how are we going to teach it? And the ability to teach it tells a little bit about how much clarity they gave us. I think this decision does not give us any balancing test. 
It tells us that there are factors to consider as to whether off-campus speech has got a diminished interest of the school to punish. But it doesn't give us a test. It doesn't talk about what to do with material disruption, how close the off-campus speech must be to causing that disruption. It specifically says this is not a situation in which the school had made, had made a, a policy of dealing with vulgarity or profanity, implying that if they did have a policy to deal with vulgarity or profanity, that might be a teaching method for off-campus speech. The case does not tell us what the, uh, the impact is of the fact that parents have a right to control speech at home. They don't tell us what that means uh, at all. And so I think in many ways, this case is only significant for what it didn't do. And in that sense, Justice Thomas, in my view, was correct in the, in the dissent in which he said, this case says off-campus speech gets some protection. We don't know how much, but not here. I would agree with that. I think that this is one of the most bizarre cases to go to the Supreme Court level, especially given what they did with it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it leaves a lot to be desired. Um, I am thankful that it didn't, um, that it wasn't worse than it, than it is. But yes, as, as Jim was saying, it did not, it didn't really give us, like I teach my students, here's the test from this case that you can apply in future, you know, parallel situations. There's nothing I can really tell them about this except, well, you know, they they sort of gave us their thoughts on some factors to consider and told us to consider them, but that, you know, they didn't tell us exactly how they'll consider them in the future or how lower courts should consider them. You know, they very purposely, I think, sort of took the easy way out. Um, on the one hand, I understand this is not this, the facts in this case were not such that you would want to create very broad, I think, um, First Amendment law around them. Um, but yes, I don't think that they that they helped us out <laughs> much. Well, they didn't give us any lines to draw. <clears throat> a lot of Supreme Court cases, including Tinker, for example, it, it, it gives us a line and we can look at that line and get some idea of whether you're on the top or the bottom of that line, whether your speech is going to cause a material disruption to a school proceeding. Here, I don't think, in retrospect, given my wrong predictions before, that this was a close play. This was a case in which there was no real harm done by relatively innocuous speech that didn't last very long, and it wasn't designed to hurt individual people. And therefore, and to punish her for a year of off the team seemed too much to Supreme Court justices who have coached their own kids and said, I've seen worse. Mm. Okay. So in your pantheon of student press law decisions, you know, your Tinker, your Kuhlmeier, your Hazelwood, your Frederick, where is Mahanoy going to end up? I mean, they might include it because it's caused such commotion and, <laughs> and chaos within the community. But as for including it as a, as a metric of any, you know, um, real way to, to measure how much speech is protected, I'm not sure that they could do that. I, I agree. I think it's going to make the list. And the case that people often forget, because it's just so long ago, is Barnett. Of course, the, the Supreme Court, for the first time, weighed in and said, schools can't make kids do everything, including make them salute a flag or say the Pledge of Allegiance. And <laughs> I think in that sense, it's not a bookend to Barnett. 
but it's a case that's in the, the genre of what the Supreme Court does in looking at the power of schools with respect to student speech and expression, including student media. They recognize that students don't lose all their rights when they go to school, and they, the school doesn't have all the rights when they leave school. Mm. And people forget that Justice Fortas in Tinker had a wonderful phrase. He said, we have hazardous freedoms. Mm. Some of our freedoms are hazardous. And he says, we are a disputatious society and people. And sometimes our speech will be at odds with each other. I think that this case is going to play a role as the court begins to look at hate speech. Because I think the hate speech laws are on the verge of changing. That is the notion that hate speech is always protected regardless of its lack of contribution to, to ideas. And so I think this case may be placed in context of, on one end, mere profanity. On one end, mere vulgarity is not what's bothering us. But maybe we're going to get bothered and schools will have an interest, as society may, in speech that's racist, in speech that's designed to harm other people as to their very essence. I think we may see some changes there. One element of this is the social media element, and that's territory where decisions will need to be made. You know, things will need to come up and be examined uh, in the future. Any thoughts about social media and student expression, either what needs addressing or what probably might get addressed soon, or anything you think we haven't already touched on from this decision uh, regarding student social media as press? Yeah, I think the court really realized and is continuing to realize that social media blurs a lot of lines. So it blurs the lines between what's on campus and off campus. You know, if someone sends a, uh, say, a threatening message to someone as they're walking home from school, but that person's still on campus, where did the speech take place? I think that they're really having to sort of to think about redefining or reimagining speech and and where it comes from or who it affects. So yeah, I'll be interested to see how they go about this in the future. Mm. You know what's funny though? Doesn't it make more seem so awfully archaic the issue of is a speech at a school sponsored event <laughs> held in the street really school uh, across the street across yeah. the street <laughs> right it really seems so old-fashioned now when we're talking about does some kid on snapchat near a near a near a, a convenience store uh, is he really still on campus or she yeah it's like that was so cute that we were worried about that before. <laughs> <laughs> um well you got me thinking about the title of this podcast which is conversations at the schoolhouse gate uh, right with the obvious allusion to Tinker. And maybe we're going to have to change the name of the podcast because maybe the schoolhouse gate is an outdated idea. Well, let me roll right through like a live broadcaster and take that to the end. Thank you both so much, really, for coming and taking your time. I really appreciate you. What you do is so important, both of you and being generous, helping the Scholastic Press Rights Committee with your time is really valuable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Our guests today were Summer Ingram Dean and Jim Wagstaff. If you have questions or comments about student free expression, please contact us. Send us an email describing your situation or asking a question and we'll respond in future episodes. You can reach us at sprc at jea.org with the subject line podcast. Or you can tweet us at JEA Press Rights. 
so you don't miss out on future episodes, please subscribe to this podcast through any of the many podcast applications available. Thanks for listening, and remember, student voices matter.